0: Welcome to Hanchuk Targets History. I'm your host, Tim Hanchuk. Thanks for joining me this episode. You know, I've been teaching high school history for way too many years, and I love talking about this stuff. So let me share with you some interesting, unique, and little-known historical events. I know you'll be entertained, and if you're not careful, you just might learn something too. So, let's lock and load and take a shot at that target of history and see what we can hit. Well... Let's take a walk down range, see what the target shows. Ah, looks like today we'll be talking about the assassination of Alexander II of Russia. Since we're talking about Russia in the 1800s, at that time they were using the Julian calendar. So all the dates I give you will be following the Julian calendar. Sometimes in reference works it's also referred to as old calendar or old style. Anyway. Alexander takes the throne in 1855 and Russia happens to be right in the middle of the Crimean War. They were fighting against the Ottoman Empire who was being helped by Britain and France. And quite honestly, Russia was not doing real well. And what makes it especially bad is the fact that a lot of the fighting of the war took place in Russia's own backyard. When the war finally comes to an end, Alexander realizes that Russia's behind the times. Russia is not able to compete with some of the industrialized nations of Europe, like Britain and France. And the big reason for this was that Russia still largely had a serf based economy. And Alexander is like, hey, man, we got to do something about this. So he's going to start making some reforms. And his biggest reform, his best known reform, will come in 1861. That's the year he issues the Edict of Emancipation, freeing all serfs within the Russian Empire. Now, on top of that, there's some additional reforms he made as well. He's going to reform the military. After all, they had such a poor showing in the Crimean War, changes need to be made. He's going to revamp the judicial system. There's going to be a new penal code. He will allow some local self-government, it's called the Zemstvo, Uh, and basically that's going to be elected assemblies uh, and they do have some very restricted rights to tax. He also encourages expansion of industry and foreign investment and will work on the railway network as well. Now not everybody is happy with Alexander's reforms. He's made a lot of them. He's the most reforming czar since the time of Peter the Great but you can't please everyone. And there's a lot of liberal groups there's a lot of radical groups that want more they want either a constitutional monarchy where he shares power with some type of elected Parliament or maybe they even want an end to the monarchy and some sort of Republic we even have the beginnings of early Russian Marxism starting to creep in at this time and we'll see one of those guys in a few minutes because of this there are going to be some people who are gunning for Alexander and he is going to survive a number of assassination attempts so let's take a look at those the first attempt on Alexander's life comes on the 4th of April 1866 we have this guy named Dmitry Karkazov, and he comes from a minor noble family but as he grows up he comes to hate the nobility He sees them as taking advantage of the peasants uh, and he wants no part of it. He goes to study at Kazan University and he gets expelled. So then he enrolls at Moscow State University and in early 1866, he gets expelled again. Since two universities threw him out, he decides to head to St. Petersburg to assassinate the Tsar. How come he blames Alexander for the suffering of the poor And let's face it, the guy won all there. So on that 4th of April, he shows up outside the summer garden, and he's waiting at the gates for the Tsar to walk out. Uh, There's a crowd of people, and as the Tsar is walking out of these gates, he rushes forward pistol in hand to commit the assassination, and supposedly in the jostle of people, this young kid, he was a, an apprentice to a milliner, and that's a guy who makes hats, but this young kid jostled his arm and the shot went wide. Of course, the czar's security jump him right away. He's arrested and put on trial, and Karakazov will be executed later that year. The second attempt on Alexander II's life happens on June 6, 1867. Now, it just so happens that Alexander is in Paris, attending the World's Fair. And on that day, it's about 5 o'clock in the afternoon or so, uh, Alexander was coming back from a military review. He was at the Longchamp race course, uh, and he's riding in an open carriage. He has two of his sons with him, and also in the carriage is French Emperor Napoleon III. The would-be assassin was named Anton Berezovsky. Now, Berezovsky is the son of an impoverished Polish nobleman. And as a matter of fact, just a few years earlier in 1863, Berezovsky took part in the Polish revolt against Russian rule. And let's face it, that didn't go too well for the Poles. As a result, he left Russia and moved to Paris. Anyway, Berezovsky hates the Tsar. So they're at this race course, they're in this open carriage, He comes running out of the crowd, and he has this double-barreled pistol, sort of like a large derringer, that he's modified himself. And he pulls the trigger to shoot, and the gun blows up in his hand. And the bullet flies wide, and actually it hit a horse of one of the guards accompanying the Tsar. Berezovsky's hand is mangled from the exploding gun, And of course, the Tsar's guards jump in. Uh, Hey, here's some handshuck-free advice. Unless you're a gunsmith and you really know what you're doing, don't try to modify your own firearm. Now, Berdozovsky is arrested, and since he's in France, he actually escapes the death penalty. Instead, he's sentenced to a life of hard labor. The third attempt on Alexander's life is going to happen on the 20th of April, 1879. The would-be assassin is a guy named Alexander Solovev. All right, Now, Solovev, uh was a teacher. Uh-oh. <laughs> he was a teacher. Uh, but he resigned his job because most of his pupils were like kids from the bourgeoisie, from the upper classes. So in 1874, he goes traveling Russia, seeking work as a carpenter. And his idea is to travel from village to village doing odd jobs, hoping to spread anti-Tsarist propaganda. Okay, now here's the thing, though. In 1877 to 78, Russia fought the Turks again, the Russo-Turkish War. And even though the war went well for them, there was rising unemployment. And Soloviev had a very difficult time finding jobs. So he moved back to St. Petersburg by 1879 and he decides he's gonna kill the czar so he tells a good friend of his a guy named Alexander Mikhailov. Now Mikhailov is a member of an anti-government secret society called Land and Liberty and when he tells the other members what Soloviev wants to do they're very much against him trying to do this they think he should be stopped and one of the most outspoken critics of Soloviev's attempt is actually Georgi Pukhanov, who is one of the founders of Russian Marxism. Mikhailov says, hey, it doesn't matter. Soloviev's going to try to do this no matter what. So on the morning of the 20th of April, 1879, Alexander's in the grounds of the Winter Palace, out in the park, taking his usual walk, and he sees Soloviev coming up to him. He sees the gun in Soloviev's hand, so he starts running away, like zigzag, zigzag. Soloviev fires five times and misses all five. Wow, he's like almost as bad a shot as I am. Again, the Tsar's guards jump him and he doesn't go down without a fight. Uh, He actually fought, uh, he wounded one of the guards. He swallowed poison that he had brought with him, but they actually get some pretty quick medical attention for him and revive him, only to put him on trial and, you know, execute him the following month. Now, even though Soloviev had acted on his own, his actions are going to stir up troubles in his buddy Mikhailov's group Land and Liberty. Because Mikhailov and a number of others in that group say, wait a second, you know, killing the Tsar might be a good tactic. And they break away from Plekhanov and the others, and they form a terrorist group called Narodnaya Volya or the People's Will. So now Alexander has dodged the bullet literally three times, but now he's got the People's Will gunning after him. And the People's Will will not waste any time. The fourth attempt will come the following month in May. People's Will members Andrei Zhelyabov and Sofia Perovskaya are gonna use some nitroglycerin to try to destroy the Tsar's train as he's coming back from Lavadia. However, they like totally miscalculate the train schedule and they blow up another train instead. The same two are gonna make a fifth attempt in St. Petersburg. They plan explosives on the Kamemini Bridge, and the idea is when the czar drives over the bridge, they're gonna blow it up, but that didn't work for them either. So maybe those two shouldn't be allowed to play with like high explosives. The sixth and final attempt not to work on the Tsar's life are gonna involve another People's Will member, Stefan Kulthurin. Now he manages to get a job in the Winter Palace and this job allows him to actually sleep on the premises. So every day he brings in packets of dynamite in his pocket and he hides them in his mattress And when he builds up a a huge supply of dynamite, uh, he makes his move. A floor below the dining room in the Winter Palace was like a a guard's chamber. It's where the guards could rest, relax when they weren't on duty. And what Kulthurin had done was he had packed up the dynamite in an iron box. And there was actually a clockwork timer. And he set it to go off on the 5th of February, 1880 right at the dinner hour. His idea is the bomb's gonna blow up, it's gonna blow up the dining room above him, and the Tsar is gonna be no more. However, Alexander's lucky once again because he's late to dinner. The Tsar's nephew, who was a prince of Bulgaria, was supposed to arrive that day and was actually running late, so the royal family did not come down to dinner at their usual time. So the explosion took place. And actually, 20-some people were seriously injured, but the royal family was nowhere to be found. After these three failed attempts, the People's Will contacts the Russian government, and they say, look, we'll call off our terror campaign. We'll stop trying to assassinate the Tsar if the Russian people are granted a constitution. They want free elections. They want an end to censorship. Now hey, Alexander, the great reformer, had been toying with this idea already. So on the 25th of February, 1880, he makes a public announcement that he is considering granting a constitution. And to show his goodwill, he releases a number of political prisoners from jail, and he gets his Minister of the Interior, Mikhail Loris Melkov, to start putting together a constitution that would satisfy the reformers, but at the same time preserve the powers of the throne. Now he's sincere about doing this, but at the same time he's also going to have the Russian police establish a special section, and this unit is eventually going to become known as the Ukraine. It's going to be the secret police. They're going to send out undercover agents to start joining these political organizations trying to infiltrate these political organizations that are speaking out against the government. In January of 1881, Minister of the Interior, Loris Melkov, has completed his work. He's put together a constitution and included are going to be expanding the powers of the Zemstvo, we're going to have a national assembly, they're going to be able to initiate legislation. And Alexander likes this idea but he has some concerns about how much power he'll be sharing. So instead of putting it into effect right away, he sets up a committee to go over it and to look at things in more detail. The People's Will are getting increasingly impatient and they decide they're gonna make another attempt on Alexander's life. People's Will member, Andrei Zelyebov, is going to be made the chief organizer of this new plot and what they're going to do is, they want to take advantage of one of the czar's weekly habits. Every Sunday afternoon, he drove out to the Mikhailovsky Riding School for a military roll call. And so the plan is to assassinate him on the way back to the Winter Palace. And they start spying on him, they start observing him, they follow his routines for a couple months. And what they find out is that Really, he only has two different routes home to the Winter Palace. One route takes him down malaya Sadovaya Street. The other route is to drive along the Catherine Canal. Now, if he goes home by the malaya Sadovaya Street, the People's Will's plan is to put a mine under the street and blow up his carriage. And they're going to have some bomb throwers on hand just in case as well. If the Tsar is going to go home along the Catherine Canal, well, they're just gonna have bomb throwers. So what they do to prepare for this, is first off, they actually open a cheese store on Malaya Sudovia Street, and they use one of the back rooms to dig down and tunnel under the street so they can pack in quantities of dynamite to blow the carriage up. They also enlist four guys to throw bombs. Ignacy uh, Grinovitsky Nikolai Reisikov, Timofey Mikhailov, and Ivan Yemelyanov. Zhelyabov himself was to have overall command of the bombing and was going to be present on the street with a pistol just in case the mine and bombs didn't get the job done. However, two days before the attack was set to take place, the Ukraina gets wind of this and arrests him. Now the Ukraina doesn't know the details of the plot, but they know Zhelyabov is involved in some scheme to kill the Tsar. He refuses to talk and he actually taunts the police saying, oh there's nothing you can do to stop it now. With him out of the picture though his wife, Sofia Perovskaya, is going to step in and take charge. This brings us to the fateful day, the 1st of March 1881. Nicholas visits the riding school sees the military roll call, and gets in his carriage to return home. Now he's traveling in a closed carriage. He has five Cossacks riding along with him. There's a sixth Cossack riding shotgun with the coachman. And following his carriage, we have two sleighs carrying more guards, the chief of police of St. Petersburg, and the chief of Alexander's guards. The entourage begins traveling home. And Porovskaya is standing on the street corner, seeing which way the Tsars group heads. And when they avoid Malaya-Sadovaya Street, she takes out a handkerchief and she pretends to blow her nose. And that's a signal to the bomb throwers that the first route is off. So they don't even get to use the mine that they dug under the street. Instead, it's obvious that the Tsar's going home along the Catherine Canal. So the bomb throwers start moving to the alternate position. What really helps them is that on his way home, the Tsar decided to stop off to see his cousin, the Grand Duchess Catherine. So three of the bombers actually have time to take up positions along the canal. For some reason, Mikhailov didn't make it in time. But the other three are there. At 2.15, the carriage starts going down along the Catherine Canal, Rysukov has a bomb wrapped in a handkerchief, Perovskaya gives him a signal and he throws the bomb at the Tsar's carriage. The bomb goes off and it wounds one of the riders who was accompanying the carriage, and he's actually going to die shortly after that. Uh, It also injured some people in the crowd. However, the explosion really didn't do much to the Tsar's carriage. Why? because it was bulletproof. It was actually a gift from Napoleon III of France. Hey, remember the fiasco at the World's Fair? Yeah. So Alexander is, you know, kind of confused with what's going on, but he's totally unhurt. The guards jump on Raisikov, he is captured, and people say they hear him shout to someone else in the crowd. The Tsar's guards, the coachmen, Tell Alexander, hey, you got to get out of here. we got to get you back to the palace. But when you're the Tsar, nobody tells you what to do. Alexander wants to see the culprit, and he wants to see the damage. You know, people got hurt. He wants to see what went on. So as he's stepping out to see the damage, a second bomber, Yanivitsky, closes in. He throws the bomb right at the Tsar's feet and this explosion tears up the Emperor. He is horribly injured, his legs are mangled, his abdomen's torn open. Dozens of other people were injured by the bomb. Kroninovitsky himself was severely wounded, and Alexander's laying in the street just bleeding all over the place. Kroninovitsky himself actually will die hours later in a hospital. Now the third bomber in the crowd Yemelyanov, he doesn't throw his bomb. He figures the deed is done, so he kind of slinks away. And as I said, Mikhailov didn't make it there in time. The Tsar is horribly wounded. He says, take me to the palace, there I will die. And one of the slaves carries him to the Winter Palace. And one of the closest rooms available was his study. The place where almost 20 years earlier, he had freed the serfs with his Edict of Emancipation. And it is there that family will attend to him, his priest will come, his private physician Sergey Botkin will come, and at about 3.30 that day, Alexander II dies, and his personal standard is lowered over the Winter Palace. Now, as I said, Hrinovitsky, who threw the second bomb, He's gonna die just a few hours later from his wounds. And he never even gave authorities his name, let alone tried to cooperate with them before he died. Rysikov, who threw the first bomb, he kinda gets scared. He's captured at the scene, of course, and he decides to cooperate. So he sings like a canary. His testimony implicates the others. And the following day, they raid the group's headquarters. Mikhailov is captured. After a brief gunfight, and Sofia Barovskaya on the 9th of March, and Ivan Yemelyanov, well, he wasn't captured till April 2nd. All these conspirators, except Yemelyanov, because he hadn't been captured yet, are put on trial right away. They're found guilty. They're sentenced to death by hanging. Yemelyanov was actually sentenced later on to life in prison at hard labor. But, he will actually be pardoned by Alexander's grandson, Nicholas II, after serving 20 years in prison. So what's the aftermath of this? Alexander's death caused a huge setback for the reform movement in Russia. You know, one of the last acts he made was to approve the constitutional reforms that had been suggested to him. Even though these reforms were Pretty conservative. They're significant because Alexander II knew that he was going to be sharing some power. He knew things were on the way to a constitutional monarchy, and he was actually going to do this two days after he was assassinated. Instead, his son Alexander III takes over, and he's going to be quite the reactionary. It's understandable, your old man just got blown up. Okay? But he's going to undo some of the reforms of his father. He is going to crack down on not just secret societies, but any kind of protest group. He's going to push hardcore autocratic power in Russia. And unfortunately, that's going to lead to problems down the road. How might things have been different? Russia if Alexander II had lived and established that constitutional monarchy? Well, we'll never know, unfortunately. And there you have it, kind listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to talking with you again in our next episode.